Oh, this is nice. I can see you both now. Just okay. chugging corn whiskey straight from the, the jar, huh, Becca? I am, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> moonshine, in uh, fact. That's it, moonshine. You know, when you listen to country music like this, Nathan... You gotta have that whiskey in the jar. <laughs> it's been one week since we talked about Taylor Swift. <laughs> That's right. It's What's a bare, li- bare naked ladies uh, season coming? <laughs> season oh, 33. Shit. Oh shit! I hadn't, hadn't even considered them as a as an artist. I might be too familiar. <laughs> hey, Cameron, I might be too familiar with bare naked ladies. If you know what I mean, <laughs> might not be eligible. <laughs> oh boy, as you probably guessed, this is a podcast about artists and uh, understood and stuff. Uh, and I'm Nathan Hunt. I'm Cameron Dewitt, and we have a special guest this week and the last few weeks and the next few weeks it's me becca dewitt also yeah. our baby ellis dewitt incidentally <laughs> it was a four-person pod has that ever happened for us too many pods in the. i feel like it's happened ever since mm, i joined wait. Mm. <laughs> like like peas in a pod like like peeing in a pod um <laughs> how does a dolphin urinate like pee in a pod <laughs> Uh, yeah, so we're talking about Taylor Swift's album Red. Uh, I already shot my wad and all the jokes I had for the title. Uh, so, <laughs> I, uh, okay, yeah. So this what 2010, 2012? When did this come out? 2012. Uh, yeah, I, I think there was a little bit of millennial whooping in this one. I did notice a little bit of that. Yep. Uh, for those of you who are unfamiliar, it's the, uh, whoa, oh, whoa, oh, oh, or just like anything like that that happened, uh, in the teens. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So there's some of that, uh, she is definitely like getting less and less country. There's a few sort of countryish songs. Um, there's a U2 ass song. Um, there's a kind of a dubstepy pop song also. Yeah. So. That one was like the big song, wasn't it? Actually, unfortunately, no. Oh, really? <laughs> You're Never Ever Getting Back Together is the big song. Oh, I'm consistently very surprised by which song is the big song on these albums. But yeah. It was Tr- Trouble was the one. Together. I knew you were Trouble when I walked in was the main one on my radar. Yeah. I put that on a running playlist, actually. So that's maybe the Taylor Swift song I'm most familiar with. Oh, interesting. Yep. Uh, so art, let's art, see. Art with Function. What? That that song gets you pumped up. Yeah, it's kind of a it's kind of a pump up jam. It's got quite it's a pretty fast beat, and then that uh, that like dubstepy chorus. It's fun. It's fun to run to. Yeah, you just trip every time it happens. Yeah, basically. <laughs> blub, blub, blub. Oh god, my ankle. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, yeah. Any any uh, more general thoughts about the album before we just start diving into songs? I have a couple a couple backgroundsies. Oh, yeah. um, so Nathan, you commented in advance of the album about the diverse mixture of, uh, oh my goodness, this baby is like trying to, I don't know what, but something to the microphone and he won't leave it alone. Um, 
you were commenting on how diverse the styles on the album are. And so we've talked about how she's previously collaborated really extensively with Nathan Chapman as her primary producer. And on this album, she decided that she wanted to like push her songwriting forward and that the main way that she was going to do it was by collaborating extensively with other artists and producers. And so there are tons of other producers on this album and tons of other artists. And one of the main things that she did in, in songwriting for this album. So this is her second album where every song is written by her her but they're not Mm -hmm. exclusively written by her and um and she would do this thing where she would kind of write like an initial draft of something so she would write like a you know a chorus and a verse and then she would take it to a collaborating songwriter and play it for them and be like what do you think how do i make it better what is like the way of making the story better so she's collaborating both in in her songwriting and in her by using other producers she's like trying to kind of deliberately um hire in these other styles of music Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so the album sounds and feels really different than the other albums we've seen from her, and and that's one big reason why. I'm trying to think of an example of when, like, has there ever been, because I love a lot of, or a fair amount of TV shows that are obviously written by writers' rooms and movies, mm-hmm. and like, like a collaboration of a group of people. I'm trying to think if there's ever been, like, a a pop song that I thought was, like, specifically made like elevated and and could only exist as a writer's room pop song. You know what I mean? That, Mm. that was better than someone's singular vision. Hmm. I'm Um, not saying that any of these songs would be better if there wasn't collaboration. I'm saying, you know, your Fiona apples, your, uh, uh, I mean, even like Regina Spector, who I perceive to like write, her like all of her own songs um and be the only writing credit i think like mm-hmm. i just am, am very consistently more interested in those huh it's that's just, interesting it it, it, feel, it to me it feels like the medium of like songwriting doesn't lend itself as well to a bunch of people collaborating but i i think you could also argue that any band like i'm thinking about queen like any band that performs as a band really consistently over time is sort of is sort of like a duplicating a writer's room. Like it's a group of people who gets really comfortable and familiar pitching ideas with each other and then and then does it consistently and on a consistent basis, you know? And often there's one or two people who are credited for the specific songs, but at the end of the day, I feel like the band process is probably actually very similar to a writer's room. Yeah. I also wonder like how many singular artists uh, might make the use of like ghostwriters or whatever, you know? That's a good point. Yeah, I mean, just yeah. Just I mean, maybe Regina Spector and Fiona Apple do that, or ghost collaborators. Maybe they're just haunted. <laughs> Spooky punch ups. Spooky punch ups. Uh, have you guys? Did you guys ever watch that show on PBS? A uh, ghost writer, but it's oh, it's yeah. writer, not not writer yeah. like Nick Cage. There was like an Winona? episode of Ghost Writer. Do you remember the purple blob one? I know. No. Oh, if you had seen it, you would have remembered it. Zach and I were reminiscing recently about how that was the scariest fucking thing we had ever seen when we were kids. <laughs> There's like a purple blob and it like eats everybody. It's crazy. Oh, shit. Yeah. Like everybody. <laughs> and then like, I don't know, Ghost Rider swoops in and zaps him or whatever. There, it's hits like, him, there's like hits a. Hits him with a chain. Uh, yeah. Comes in on a motorcycle. His face is on fire. Skull's on fire. <laughs> it's a weird premise for a kid's show. It's like, what if there was a ghost ghost writer that was a ghost writer hmm? yeah 
I'm, that's, I'm sure. And then they ripped a big line of cocaine. I bet that's how it was pitched back in the 90s or 80s or whatever. My unfinished business is helping kids solve mysteries. <laughs> Through the power of writing. I want to do it so bad that I've, <laughs> I've forsaken my my eternal bliss. <laughs> now you're sounding like uh, The Haunting of Bly Manor. That's a little sp- a spoiler for our uh, 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 mini podcast for supporters called What's in the Box Weekly, where we talk about uh, The Haunting of Bly Manor this week. Did we love it? Did we hate it? Oh. Did we met it? Oh. Give us some money (laughs) and you could hear our take on it a small amount of money yeah just some some money (laughs) it's money um Uh, i want to say a couple more background things about yeah before we jump into songs oh you're you're yeah uh but um okay so i have a trivia trivia question for you she's the first artist in quite a few years to spend six weeks on the billboard 200 with three consecutive studio albums as of this album, guess what artist was the last artist to do it before Taylor Swift? Female artist specifically? No, artist at all. At all, at all. Is it Garth Brooks? Nope. Oh, um, Michael Jackson. Nope. What? Go further back. Is further it back, is further back? Elvis? Oh no, too far. Elvis. Il- Elvis um, from Sweden. No, what it- does the fox say? Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Um, do you, it is, was, is it a single artist oh, or like a group? It is a group. Oh, f- God damn it! I think you said single artist, and I was very confused. Uh, the be- the Beeples. It's the Beeples. Yeah. Forty three years. Forty three years prior to her releasing Red. God damn. So that's, that's pretty crazy. impressive, right? That's like a pretty impressive, pretty impressive thing. Yeah. Uh, and then the one other trivia I have from this album is looking at like marketing and how she did marketing. So she announced the album on a live call where she had 72,500 viewers. She's like hanging out with her. She's like, hey guys, I'm going to do a new album. And to market the album, one of the things that she did is she released every week for four weeks prior to the album coming out. She released a song on Good Morning America and then released it on iTunes. Oh, wow. Uh, uh, one at a time to, like, generate buzz. So the uh-huh. first one that she released was State of Grace. Oh, the U2 ass song. I very confidently think. Oh, no, it was Begin Again. <laughs> oh, okay. And then Red, and then I Knew You Were Trouble, and then State of Grace. I see. It's interesting that That's she didn't... It. I mean... I know these things aren't necessarily pre-planned, but she did not release her big single from the album before the album came out. It is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I I really wonder how the most popular singles get the most popular. I understand that like there's definitely an element of record companies or radio companies deciding which song they're going to play more and push more. Um, but I, I also think like there there definitely seems to be some element of audiences responding to this to one song more than another, you know. Yes, and Taylor Swift also plays really heavily in the music video space. Like she's always done a really good job of creating really interesting mu- music video content. Yeah. And her speak now. Oh no, I don't mean speak now. I mean, what is the music video that you and I watched about where she's like the high school and she's like singing in her room? Romeo and Juliet? No. Oh. It's she's the adorable. The adorable. I can't do it. <laughs> a donkey congable? <laughs> uh, she's just throwing barrels. <laughs> <laughs> she's stomping around trying to get rid of Italian plumbers. Yeah. Mine? I can't remember. Anyway, that song was the biggest single from that album, and it's a really similar music video to the um 
Never Ever Getting Back Together music video where she's like in her room in her pajamas for Never Ever Getting Back Together, like mm. dancing around her room, which is also interesting. So maybe people just like seeing Taylor dance around in her PJMEs <laughs> in her room, and that's it. Hot. Hot. <laughs> that's the secret to her success. <laughs> Pajamers. <Yeah>. Pajamers. <laughs> It, it is it is interesting to me how so far she's sung, yeah, just a lot about romance, and she for the most part is kind of desexualized, even though occasionally she sings about sexual stuff. I feel like. Do you mean in like music videos she's desexualized, or in the songwriting? I think I, I kind of feel like both. Mm. I. I feel like they're leaning into a, a portrayal of her that's like they want the listener to be thinking about like kissing. It feels a little Miley Cyrus. It feels like a little bit like sort of that Christian or I guess Hannah Montana or like whatever the, the first like couple albums were that she released. It felt like yeah. the sort of um, sanitized mainstream like not necessarily explicitly Christian but definitely like uh, wanting to be able to thrive in Christian markets, type of uh, type of female singer. Hey, Alice agrees. Hey, with baby. Me. Hey, this guy. This guy knows what yeah, I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What yeah, he yeah. said. Yeah. <laughs> I think that might be. I would. I would submit that that part of that is because of her being. Part of that is because of her being in the Christian, in the, ugh, in the country music circuit. Right. Yeah. And that that's part of the reason she's done that. But this album, um, Taylor says in her like documentary on Netflix about her life that she's. Well, somebody's really taking oh up all the God, air in the room, huh? So loud. What? I said somebody's really taking up all the air in this room. <laughs> Not even letting the other podcast hosts get a word in edgewise. <laughs> I have the the final take. Typical man. <laughs> Typical male. <laughs> Everyone listen to me. I know what's happening. <laughs> yep, there it is. Uh, just man, um, just boy splaining, just infant splaining. Taylor talks about in that documentary how many times she's had to reinvent herself and that that's something that female artists have to do that music that male artists don't in the same way. You know, she's like, I basically have to reinvent myself every few albums or people will get bored of me. And I would contend that Red is like the beginning of Taylor Swift 2.0. She like redoes, redoes her style musically yeah. and physically. You know, mm. she stops doing the really intense like curly hair, the really big dresses. Like yeah. she totally, it's like the start of kind of a second era of her. Mm-hmm. Of maybe four. We'll see. Four? Alice. That's a lot. Yeah, of four. Four dynasties. Four dynasties. This is Taylor 2.0, the mm, first. The four ages of the Taylor Swift. Uh, yeah. Is it time to talk about songs? Yeah, yeah. defo. Okay. Let's listen to, I guess we'll listen to the first uh, U2 ass song. You come around in the armor falls, pierce the room like a cannonball. Now all we so she doesn't necessarily sing like Bono necessarily, but she definitely like the instrumentation and like the songwriting stuff is so U2. She kind of sings like 
Bono. I have a sound sample of some Bono-esque pronunciation. Do you want to? Oh, really? Do that? Yeah. I would love to. Oh. It's the way she sings fo- fools and bull. Like a cannonball. <laughs> it's the, not country. The armor fools, and then it's hit like a cannonball. <laughs> you know, it's the only way to make those two words rhyme. <laughs> You know how you have like a bowl that you put a cannon in? You know, that yeah. kind of bowl. A cannon bowl? Hmm. Hoi to toy to toy. Irish. The Irish band. You too. The look of the Irish. What did you think of this song, Becca? I like this song a lot. I think it's interesting because her pre, like her first couple albums were extremely specific in the people that she was writing about, which generally in songwriting you would think is like a good thing. Like you want to be specific about lyrics and situations. But I think as she matures, she's getting better at um, not just telling one story, but speaking about like phenomenon more effectively, mm-hmm. uh, which is more interesting to me. Like this song is just sort of, generally about the feeling of like falling in love with someone and letting it impact you and the sort of excitement of new romance. Um, and I think it's a really good opening song. It's got a lot of like energy and, um, yeah, I think it's a good first, first album song. She does a, she does a real Garth Brooks red strokes kind of thing in the chorus. Um, she like goes through all the colors. Losing him was blue. Like I'd never known missing him was dark gray all alone. Uh, forgetting him was like trying to know somebody you never met, but loving him was red. Loving him was red. Those are those are the colors. Did you all read oh, the thing about John Mayer being? I just read that. Please do you want? Do you want to say no, it? Nathan? I don't. You, you go. I, I <laughs> literally go. just okay, learned it this second. <laughs> do well, Nathan is is so is someone who's showing a friend his favorite movie, and then he goes, "Ooh, I love this part." <laughs> That's what he's doing right now. I, what do you what do you mean i literally just learned this watch 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 <laughs> no she was she was she was asking if we had seen this thing and i was like oh yeah yeah yeah. i just read it yeah yeah go 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 <laughs> she wants to be involved i get that i can relate this is my favorite this is my um, favorite part you guys shut up shut up shut up. this is my favorite part shut, 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 i just, no, no. I just <laughs> found out about this <laughs> i just found out about this shut up listen it's my favorite part <laughs> John Mayer, uh-huh. Tete former former lover, uh, was is a synesthete, is a sound color synesthete, and so there's this like conceit that this song is slightly about him. Although That's a why lot his of these so stinky. <laughs> <laughs> That's not even the right sense. <laughs> you dumbass. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, a lot of this album is about her dating and breaking up with Jake Gyllenhaal. So, oh man, she's dated some famos. She has. So it's like wink, wink about John Mayer, but it's actually probably about Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, he's only nine years older than her. Why are we being ageist about this situation? She can date. <laughs> no, I'm saying, the fuck she I'm wants. saying it's not as bad. <laughs> she's, uh, I'm, not, she's. I'm not. I'm not. I, I'm not shaming her for dating John Mayer. She specifically has shamed John Mayer for dating her. Yeah. Because she's so young. That's well, true. she shames him for treating her so badly. I think that's different. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I win. Yep. I'm right. <laughs> the end. <laughs> Next. But, but, she, but it, she says it like, but I was just like a helpless little girl. That's basically what she says. And you should have known. 
Well, yeah, but I think what I think she's saying you shouldn't have been such an asshole. Like I, I was looking for you to be like a little more experienced about this. I agree. Okay. I agree. I really too. need to be right about this. <laughs> Ellis, do you concur? You can't say nothing. Ellis right will now. not concur. Um, so I do like that Taylor Swift, as she gets more famous and more rich, she keeps connection to uh, just imagery that we can all relate with, like the opening and closing lines of this song. Loving him is like driving a new Maserati down a dead end street. And who of us from the loftiest uh, billionaire to the lowliest janitor has not had that experience? You know. <laughs> um... Wait, did we already move on to Red? <laughs> no, it's just this song. Maybe some of us did. This is the song that should be called Red. Oh, no, fuck. I've, no, God damn it. <laughs> fuck, fuck. This whole time I've been looking at the wrong fucking lyrics. I'm so mad. <laughs> like when I, I read Losing Him was like Blue I'd Never Known. Missing Him was like Dark Ray All Alone. That's from the song Red. It's not from the song <laughs> State of Grace. seamlessly transitioned into talking about a different song. That's very funny. All right, well, if one, by I want to say one more thing about State of Grace. And stupidly. She she says, you're, you're my Achilles heel. And I feel like if people use this metaphor actually correctly, it would be, you're my Paris, the Trojan prince, who has slain me with Apollo's divine guidance. <laughs> And that's all it's a now good prepared bit <laughs> i always like a nice podcast with a pre-written joke <laughs> they always land yep <laughs> and that's what people listen to podcasts for is uh pre-written stuff i think yeah a lot of them are that's true a lot of them the more popular ones are all right so i guess we can should we actually let's listen to the sound sample of red at least we've okay. i've mostly said everything i wanted to about it in the context of the wrong song sorry listeners <laughs> This one's definitely a lot more country than the first song. Is it because of the ganjo? Uh, the baby thinks so. Her <laughs> um, baby is really loud. It's <laughs> a loud ass baby. Um, fuck, what was I going to say? What, what did you just ask? Can oh, oh. we ask a question? Yeah, what do you ask? I'm cutting. Oh. I'm cutting this. Oh. Oh my god. Can we bounce you now, baby? On the genius, uh, it's credited uh, ganjo, as in like guitar banjo, like a a banjo head with a guitar neck and strings. Is that, uh, I've never heard that word before. Ganjo? No, it's usually gitjo. Yeah. Or banjitar. Yep. Neither are great, but ganjo is definitely the worst. And there are two people credited <laughs> playing the ganjo on Ugh. this track, which I think is shitty. <laughs> maybe it's maybe they were both playing the same one at the same time. That would be funny. I'm gonna I'm yeah, gonna like choose to imagine that YouTube visual. Videos where one person's fretting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Do you know how that's they that's how they recorded the uh, upright bass part for Ruby Tuesday, the Rolling Stones? Why? What, well, I think they just didn't have a studio musician who could play the upright bass, 
and none of those dumbasses knew how to play the damn thing. So like one of them would like finger the notes and then would just like pull the bow across the strings. God, that seems harder. <laughs> I know, right? It's <laughs> <laughs> a slow enough song. Uh, I don't know. They managed to do it. Do you have anything um, else to say? I think that it's interesting that this song is it's uh, talking about Taylor's lover in the third person. I feel like usually it's second person for for her. Mm, yeah, mm. that's true. Yeah, like who's she talking to? Just me. <laughs> <laughs> Losing Cameron was red. <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> she, she's like venting to us. I guess. Oh, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I ostensibly she's talking to someone with a Maserati or who has been in one <laughs> ever. Yeah. <laughs> that's all of us like i said um i think it's interesting that at least according to the genius uh the color red uh it says this album was inspired by intense emotions and feelings that swift believes correlate with the color red including frustration romance disappointment and nostalgia all right all right m night um, I couldn't hear anything that you just said. So I'm just imagining just it was something screaming. really brilliant. I'm just going to say, mm, yeah. You can just cut out the baby audio track while I'm talking, Cameron. <laughs> I, sh- I, I shouldn't have uh, I shouldn't have given him that lav mic. Yeah. <laughs> Cameron, uh, some people have a noise gate on an audio track. I think we need a baby gate. Am I right? <laughs> Let's baby proof this audio recording setup. Um. <sighs> So, uh, that, that idea of making an art project about a color and then treating it from various, like, perspectives and various emotional states is an interesting idea that I like a lot. It reminds me a lot of a poetry book called Bluets by the American poet Maggie Nelson, uh, which is a fantastic poetry collection that everyone should go check out. And it's all about her and her obsession with the color blue uh and the various like states of mind that it puts her in and the various like colors of blue and where they come from and what they do for her and uh how she gets horny by blue stuff sometimes <laughs> are you talking about Joni mitchell right now i think you are no i'm talking about maggie You're nelson talking about miles davis, miles davis. oh great <laughs> i'm talking about uh whoever that dumbass is who wrote blue like jazz <laughs> Donald Miller. I wish I didn't know that, but I do. (laughs) Oh, that's right. I knew that one time, and now I do again. Uh, You guys remember that book? (laughs) What if a Christian went to Reed College? (laughs) (laughs) In a world. (laughs) Hmm. Uh, I thought you were talking about Joni Mitchell because there are a lot of parallels between this album and Blue. Oh, that's a good point. I should have gone to that as my first like referent rather than some obscure poetry collection. <laughs> Considering this is actually the same like medium in any sense. Yeah. Uh, but including the the album cover, there's like been a lot of comparison for the album cover being like Joni Mitchell's album cover for Blue. Yeah. Hmm. 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 Andor, we we may talk a little bit more about Jenny Mitchell later on in this episode. Ooh, spoiler, wink, wink. foreshadowing, spoilers, or something. Teaser, 
Oh, that's right. Is there an audio representation of a wink? If we need to let the listeners in uh, on the wink. Let me see what I can Is find. Is there a, a podcast shorthand? Uh... <laughs> no, wait, sorry, wrong one. <laughs> or... What is the flirtiest sound? Uh, this is the... Oh, that's hey, pretty that's good. Nice. I kind of like that as a wink. A wink, wink. Hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> that's a pretty flirty sound, wouldn't you say? <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> Oh, That's cool. the audio equivalent of mansplaining. <laughs> that sound is. It, it really is. Oh, boy. Wink! <laughs> uh, well, actually! <laughs> <laughs> okay, I don't have anything to say about... I. It seems like I haven't taken any notes of tr- on tracks 10 through 16. Um, so I don't think yeah. we need to... I mean, we could talk about some of those if you want. But the ones that are important to me to talk about would be... Uh, I guess 22. Um, so, there is no song 22. You, but I'm feeling 22. Oh, it's track 6. The song title is 22. It's not track 22. <laughs> I understand uh, now. I think 22 and We Are Never Ever Getting Back Together are the ones that I'm interested in talking about and Stay, 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 Stay. And I Knew You We got to talk about I Knew You Were Trouble. That song's fun. Uh, yeah. Uh, okay. Is there Are there any that are important I think we should also talk about Treacherous because it's you were talking about her being like Christian, kind of non-sexual, and I think this is her sexiest song to date. Mm. Well, let's take okay, a listen, great. shall we? And I think it's pretty effective. Let's talk about those, and and then let's just we'll do like a cursory like synopsis of any other important songs, and then and then call it. How about that? Sounds good. Sounds good. I need to have a game plan because this is this album's over an hour long, sixteen tracks. I didn't I didn't like a lot of it, and I'm just gonna get really bored unless we have a plan right now. <laughs> you right there? Do you need a paper bag? <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, hang in there, chap. <laughs> Hang on, little tomato. With your hands And I'd be smart to walk away But you're quick, Sam This slope is treacherous This path is reckless This slope is treacherous <laughs> <laughs> Becca, uh, so peek behind the curtain. Becca does has been doing this bit for the last twenty minutes, which is basically every time there's a sound sample that's a little too low, she leans her head up against the microphone as if she'll be able to hear it better, and then looks at me and dares uh, me to not react. That's a good and so I'm, now I'm acknowledging it. That's what's been happening. Now we can move on. Mm-hmm. Uh, this slope is treacherous. It's a slippery slope. That's right. That's what I'm saying. I'm going to sound like a lunatic if that mic doesn't pick up what your baby just said. <laughs> Who's Who are you talking to, Nathan? <laughs> just a ghost. Uh, I kind of like later on, she, she says treacherous and then dangerous. And uh, she makes dangerous a three-syllable word. 
or pronounces it with all three syllables, mm-hmm. and it kind of sounds nice. I don't know. She could have gone the other way and just said treacherous. Treacherous. <laughs> <laughs> That's really old-timey. I like that. <laughs> yeah. She should have done that. <laughs> yeah, that would have been nice. Oh, all the missed opportunities on this album, right? Tell us about how sexy this song is. Yeah. It's really sexy. I think this first this first verse especially, uh, put your lips close to mine as long as they don't touch, out of focus, eye to eye, till the gravity's too much. I'll do anything you say if you say it with your hands. I think that's a pretty effective line. And I'd be She's smart just talking to about sign away, language. Is that really sexy to you? <laughs> I like the, the in the liner sexy notes. Sexy sign languages. Do we have a sign language fetishist among genius? us? Okay, I'll wait. I'll hold up. Okay, sorry. Now? <laughs> We're doing notes? a lot of yeah. bits. In the genius notes, it says, This song contains strong sensual undertones, and while at no point references directly anything explicitly sexual, some of the lyrics can nonetheless be interpreted as a metaphor for sex. <laughs> Which I enjoy because it's... Yeah, I feel like definitely her like sexiest song to date. Um, I also think the, the lyrics in this feel very... Um, I've been getting a lot of these songs stuck in my head Mm. as we've been like listening to them. And especially because a lot of them I've listened to a lot previously. And something that I think makes a good pop artist is somebody who writes melodies that are extremely singable and written in like ranges that are really easy to sing. And with, you know, uh, uh, vowel sounds that are really easy to sound good singing. And this song, especially, I think the lyrics are just very, they feel very like easy to sing. They're very simple. She uses very simple words, but I think she uses them very effectively. So that first chorus, like the words gravity and quicksand are like the only really interesting or even slightly dense words in there. Mm -hmm. But I, I still feel like she's creating like this really strong, really effective picture of like sexual tension and being like kind of fascinated and kind of stuck on someone. She, she's saying his dick's too big. <laughs> it has its own gravitational pull. Oh, <laughs> I think that's what it means. It's got to be it. It's really uh, sexy. She does say bone later on and uh, friction, which are both very sexy words. <laughs> Those come in verse two. Does she really say bone in verse two? She says, uh, and all we are is skin and bone trained to get along. Well, Forever going right. with the there flow, you but your friction. Oh, friction. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I'll follow you home to headlights. That's kind of threatening. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't have anything else to say about this song. Do you want to play? The- <laughs> those are the things. That I have to say, I don't yeah. know. I don't have a whole lot of takes on it. Great. Do you want to play the hand stuff sound sample? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I'll do anything you say If you say it with your hands <laughs> Alice is being a real boner killer. <laughs> 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 All right, well... Uh, should, should we, we just, move on to yeah. uh, I Knew You Were Trouble? Mm-hmm. I'm going to keep us on track. You should. Ah, that's such a cool chorus. 
That little like uh, dubstepy yeah. break. Ooh, that's fun. I, I like still I still like it. Yeah, I think it's aged well. I I think I still think it sounds cool. I wish more songs still had it. Yeah, it was definitely a fad, but I feel like this song uses it effectively, and um, it still sounds good today. I feel like we're gonna get like a bunch of hate from like true dub steppers in our in our listenership. They're gonna be like, "Fuck you! That's fake dubstep music." She's just appropriating it from this underground <laughs> movement or something. Oh shit! She. I mean, that's actually probably is true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. At what point does it does it stop becoming appropriation and just start becoming like a fad or the thing that people do? You know. Because at some yeah. point it must reach a critical mass where it's not appropriating anymore, right? Like blackface. Yeah, that's <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Is that even an example of appropriation? I don't think that's appropriation, actually. Also, too. This interesting thing that this other culture does—they <laughs> darken their faces. Let's do that too. <laughs> I guess it depends on how literal a definition of appropriation uh, you have. Cameron, cut all this out. <laughs> Okay, I will. No, I'm, you don't have to. You could do that bit where we say cut it out, but keep it in. I don't know, okay, whatever. Great. <laughs> um, I get. I, I honestly like. I think the reason I said that is like the. And this isn't me trying to defend myself as much as explaining. Um, actually, why. whites are the most discriminated against group okay. in America. <laughs> no, have you guys heard I'm of reverse racism? Is- Part of the issue of appropriation. I'm sorry, but didn't we institute that thing where there's a mute button for the other hosts? I <laughs> yeah, I want to be able to mute Cameron when I'm coming in with all these zingers. <laughs> He's just like trying to say something dumb and boring, and I'm just like, joke, 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 joke. And I want to mute him. I thought that after the last podcast debacle, we decided to institute one, but maybe I was wrong. <laughs> there's a fly on my head. Um, what I was going to say is I feel like one of the main issues of appropriation, one of the issues is that there, it it often comes with a fundamental misunderstanding of the thing that you're appropriating, you know? So like, uh, like Hindu music, for instance, turns into just like shitty, like, uh, British invasion, psychedelics, you know, music, like. Ooh, it's, you know, so mysterious and oriental and it's because there's a sitar in it mm-hmm. um, or one of those boxes that makes uh, that makes the sounds. I forget. Shruti something. Sh- yeah. I sh- forget what it's called. I, th- it's, oof. I think there's a there's a thing called a Shruti, right? Shruti box. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, right. Yeah. Um, or in the in the example of um, blackface minstrelsy, it's like. A fundamental misunderstanding of what black music is and like obviously part of it is designed to uh make fun of black folks but i think uh it also became a you know air quotes like legitimate artistic form in the sense that like people liked it unironically and i think people liked it unironically because they were like well yeah this is like you know uh, a black american music mm-hmm. even though that it is it's debatable i mean it it is when uh black americans were making it mm-hmm. um you know but in its origin it's not so anyway funny funny I stuff 
I wonder if we're doing that to dubstep <laughs> when we say that we like it when it's in the song. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, not to like drag this out longer, but um, there is also a like a, a difference I think between appropriation and being influenced by something. And like appropriation would be if like Taylor Swift was to say like I'm doing dubstep now. He listen me make a dubstep song. Um, versus just like being kind of in. I mean, I guess this song in particular does go beyond simple just like influence to something that is very clearly like a example or imitation of dubstep. So you're probably right. Yeah. But there's also this question about like she's she's deliberately engaging with different styles by bringing in producers from different styles. You know, like she's. It's not like she's just like, I'm going to be off in a corner by myself doing this by myself. She's like, I want to collaborate with people who are doing different things musically than I am. And I want to hear what they're doing. Mm. Yeah. And so like, at what point does the, does the collaboration piece justify the involvement of those sound elements? Because she's doing it on purpose. She's not saying this is my style. I invented this. She's saying I'm trying to learn about other people and do their music on purpose. The optics are, are still just that it's all under her name. You know, like the the average person is experiencing, you know, Taylor Swift, not Taylor Swift featuring this producer who I guess maybe has some experience with dubstep or I, I don't know. That's the that's the point. I don't know. Ah. And yeah, this uh, the Wikipedia has a pretty interesting section about that, actually. The melody of the song was developed by Swift on a piano, and she asked Martin and Shellback, who were the producers she worked with on this song, to make the final sound, quote, as chaotic as that emotion felt. She also wanted to sing the bass line of the song in a particular way and sound, to which Martin and Shellback suggested to infuse a little bit of dubstep. Okay. Unaware of the fact that the sound she had asked for in I Knew You Were Trouble was actually dubstep, Swift recalled having listened to dubstep music presented to her by British musician Ed Sheeran, who played her the songs popular in the UK clubs. However, she confessed that she had not studied that particular genre of sound further. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. There you go. All right. Ed Sheeran makes an appearance on this album. I don't even really want to talk about that song. Ha! <laughs> yeah. He keeps working his way into I think outside the box set, even though I don't want to cover him. I, I never want to talk about that guy. Every day I wake up and I'm like, I hope today's a day in which I don't have to talk about Ed Sheeran or think about him either. <laughs> Ed Sheeran is basically the game. <laughs> <laughs> and every day I lose the game. And everyone listening at home, you just lost the game too. Um, next song, 22. Did we want to talk about that one? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Taylor Swift doesn't know about me or us, but she's feeling 22 and I can let her know that I am not feeling 22. <laughs> no, nope, not anymore. I haven't, I haven't in a, in a long time. <laughs> I don't think I even felt like 22 when I was 22. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever felt like 22. <laughs> <laughs> you guys ever been, tw- felt like 22 rather? 
Becca, how old do you feel right now? Oh my god! At this exact moment, yeah. Yeah. I've spent the entire day. D- this giant wad of fabric oh is here because my body is just totally broken from having children, and so I've been just sw- swaddling. <laughs> She's a wreck. Just swaddling my ab muscles together because that's the only way that I don't have chronic back pain. Oh. Uh, so Aww. you know, I feel great. <laughs> feeling, huh? feeling just you know, forty-two. It's great. <laughs> You know, maybe maybe a long time ago that would have been like feeling twenty two. It's like, well, I'm towards the end of my life. Cameron, are you saying that twenty two is the new forty <laughs> two? Uh, some things I want to talk about in this song. Mm-hmm. She's talked about in the past about feeling like she's uncool and on the outside, mm-hmm. and I think I want to own that. Me not liking that is is because i is for personal reasons like i don't really want to hang out with a person like like well i don't want to hang out with a an artist or a storyteller that has like a chip on their shoulder mm-hmm. um i felt the same thing about like t-pain mm-hmm. like he was just like constantly you know b- uh bookending his albums with these like angry raps about like how resentful he was that he wasn't getting the respect that he deserved. And, um, and it wasn't cool and funny and edgy, like a Rodney Dangerfield. (laughs) Um, it was, uh, just sort of sad. And similarly, it's like, I don't want to hear like from like a massively successful, uh, artist that she is like annoyed that she isn't as cool as she wants to be. Or if she doesn't have some sort of cred, uh, because it's like, well, come on, you made it. Like, yeah. <laughs> like I, I don't know why you have to like put this into your songs and like you could maybe say talk about it in an interview or whatever. But you're like making me like process your feelings of insecurity um, in this like very surface level way that doesn't feel like it's actually vulnerable um, and it feels unprocessed. Yeah. And it just feels kind of icky. doesn't feel like there's a lot of self-awareness uh, involved, typically. Yeah. Or it's just like, I don't know. So I, I don't uh, I don't enjoy listening to it. Maybe, maybe it's nice for people who already care about Taylor Swift and are, like, bought in to, like, her story. Um, and, like, they like that journey. Anyway, in this song, like in previous albums, she said, she she makes a comment about, like, cool kids not liking her and i have a sound sample of that oh too many cool kids uh-uh yeah uh-uh <laughs> she makes another uh another reference like that later on in a different song mm-hmm. but i don't know i don't know why it bothers me so much it feels like she's like giving it like a lot of power and uh I don't know. Do, do either of you have a take on that? My immediate reaction to that is that I think part of the reason that I like Taylor Swift is because she's sort of like, I mean, I think this is probably true of famous people in general, but there's this like huge vicarious living thing yeah. that Taylor Swift did all of these things that I think when I was younger, I, th- I thought that I really wanted to do. Like I used to fantasize. I, I don't know if you guys ever play this game where you're, you're like, if I was going to get famous, how would I get famous? Like there's like sure, the, sure. Yeah. the most tempting kind of fame. And for me, like being a performer was definitely 
being like a like a like singing and being a performer was definitely one of those things i probably just like kind of being a disney channel kid um and something that i like about taylor swift's journey is that she she does all of that i mean she's very famous she like owns islands in hawaii and she's i mean she's successful in every single way that i could have ever wanted to have been successful but she also kind of like openly and publicly crashes and burns relationally and um experiences like a lot of loneliness and a lot of insecurity and a lot of um i don't when i think about taylor swift's story i think she very much exemplifies like yeah no matter what you don't get out of having to like grow up or having to grapple with yourself or having to grapple with loneliness it doesn't matter if you date every single famous boy ever it doesn't matter if your friends are you know selena gomez and like all the people she's singing about in this song like it doesn't matter if you make millions and millions of dollars and win literally every single award ever at the end of the day you're still going to be like sitting in a room depressed somewhere having to grapple with the fact that you're a human being who has to live with yourself more than anybody else and i Mm -hmm. and so i think for me there's a there is like an edge of insecure or of immaturity to her song sometimes but it's almost like I think there's almost a catharsis in it for me because I think when I encounter Taylor Swift, what I'm reminded of is like, you don't want to be famous. You don't want to be rich. You want to be happy and loved. And that's like, that's what everybody wants. And that's, I don't know. So there's, there's something Mm. about her that, and I think, I think a lot of people feel that way about her. Like she, she opens herself up to let other people kind of enter her story in that way and experience her vulnerability in that way. And it's, it's helped. I think it's helped me a lot in processing my own sort of fantasies of how much happier I would be or how much better my life would be if I was any number of the things that she is. Mm-hmm. No matter where you go, there you are. Everywhere I go, damn, there I am. <laughs> yep. I don't know that reference. It's Ben Folds. Oh, oh really? You know, oh. ubiquitous Ben Folds reference. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the UBFR. The UBFR. <laughs> <laughs> it's very possible that I just like on a personal level don't enjoy it because ideas of artistic success are specifically a sore spot for me and a lot of other musicians that I know. And, you know, to hear someone who's just very conventionally successful saying like, I'm not cool enough though. Mm. It's like, well, <laughs> <laughs> she, she, I don't know. She has like, another moment like that on this album where she talks about, yeah. uh, she's talking to an ex and she's like oh i bet you're listening to some indie album that's way cooler than mine or something like that i forget which song that is uh i that's the other one i was the other example i was talking about and i have a song sample of that as oh. well oh before Teaser. we jump on though i do want to say one thing about this which is i think we talked about this a little bit in our opening out like our opening podcast where we were talking about why we we're excited to cover taylor swift something that i find really interesting about her is that she got successful relatively young and didn't absolutely destroy her life like almost everybody else who gets successful relatively young mm. and so i think that's another element of like one of the questions that i keep encountering with taylor swift is is it privileged to be rich and famous or not and yes obviously in a lot of conventional ways it totally is especially in terms of having like your basic hierarchy of needs met but there's another way in which our culture wants to deify people and in doing so incredibly the incredibly incredibly dehumanizes them and it's not good for a person it's very bad for them i think it's very difficult for a person to develop and mature in the spotlight Mm -hmm. and i think part of the reason she was successful is because she didn't get famous till she was at least a little bit older 
Um, and I think part of the reason she was successful is because she has a really strong family that like stuck with her. She wasn't she wasn't in a super dysfunctional family, but yeah, I think there's this this element of being famous that is actually like really damaging and problematic in a way in which we maybe ask certain people to perform this role for us that's bad for everyone. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I could totally see that. Yeah, and you feel like she's speaking to that in the in the text of her of her songs. I don't feel like she is directly addressing that, but I feel like her I feel like Taylor Swift I do not think that Taylor Swift has an easy life by any means. In fact, I think Taylor Swift has a really shitty and difficult life, maybe especially as a woman, to be constantly physically yeah. critiqued and represented everywhere. Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, it's like, that is like an insane amount of, I'm very grateful that I don't have that pressure, you know, on me. Um which, again, isn't to minimize the fact that she has a lot of money, which means her basic needs are met and a level of security that a lot of people don't have. But she also has, like, she tells stories about having stalkers show up at her home, like, fairly regularly. She keeps a first right. aid kit on her person at all times because that's happened enough times that she's had to be trained in, like, okay, if somebody tried to shoot me, I would need to, like, Shit. cover a basic... And that's the kind of stuff she is thinking about, right? Is like, yeah, she has a mansion, but she has a mansion whose address is posted everywhere on the internet and tons right. of crazy people who want to come visit it. And So her basic needs in that sense are being threatened. Yeah. 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 Her so fame is also this huge other like source of struggle for mm. her. Mm. Yeah. I guess another thing is that this is kind of the peak sort of hipster in the popular culture kind of era, this is like, you know, 2012 is like, you know, Portlandia, I think has been on for a minute mm -hmm. at this point. People are, uh, pretension in this particular way is in the public eye and is a zeitgeisty kind of thing that is uh, more, it's more in the conversation. And I don't even think at this point we were necessarily widely talking about well, what if it's actually cool to be not pretentious and too like Taylor Swift, uh, which I feel like uh, comes later. Mm, yeah, and that kind of that kind of idea. And at the time, it's like, no, what if we, the more underground or the more indie or the more uh, obscure, the the cooler it is and the more acceptable it is to like something. So, I guess I also want to say she's she's at this time making art in a time that's particularly toxic to be uh yeah top 40 um and where the amounts of pretension and i would say male kind of uh misogynistic pretension especially which is she hints at in that uh later song um yeah i feel like are at a, at an all-time high yeah i mean she she specifically uses the word hipster which i think um, was just widely used as a figure of derision by tons of people in lots of pop culture contexts, and I argue that 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 uh, the 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 place of that word as like the pff, hipsters was kind of taken by the word millennial pretty shortly thereafter. Yeah, like, I, although I will say that I I feel that hipster is also a, a gendered word because. If I remember right, people would say like hipsters, and then if they were talking about a hipster who was a woman, they would say a hipster girl. Hip hipstress, I think, is the uh, is the a word. Hipstress. Hipstrix. 
I love I love I well. I was gonna say I love gendering words that don't need gender, but lots of people do that. Uh, what I specifically yeah. love is wordplay uh, using outdated uh, suffixes like tricks or tress, a doctrix or a doctress. <laughs> oh boy, uh, it's very good. It's one of my favorite. It's all, bits. it's all very good. Do we have anything else to say about the song, or should we move on? We should probably move on. We're we're definitely running short on time. Yeah. We're running close to being done on songs, though, right? How many more did we want to cover? We've talked about five songs, I think. Uh, I'm never ever. W- yeah. Do you want to just talk about yeah uh, eight and nine? Sure. We just finished twenty-two. Might as well just go to a different number. Okay. Great. got a real like uh stomp clap stomp clap rhythm to it yeah it's it's basically we will rock you yeah it really is <laughs> i am never going to ever rock you again i think is the what the mashup is called <laughs> <laughs> wow that would be great <laughs> <laughs> i wonder if someone's done it actually <laughs> oh shoot um so this is about yeah on and on uh, on and off again relationships but not not anymore mm-hmm. uh because it, it's they're never ever getting back together although did you all read hmm? oh. oh i was just gonna say in the chorus she says we are never ever ever getting back together that song title is we are never ever getting back together just the one ever hmm. and then late in the end of the chorus she says but we are never ever 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 getting back together which is it, Taylor? Which is it? How many evers? She says about the song uh, in the Genius Notes, there's a quote from her saying that she she wrote the song because she finally stopped caring what her ex thought about her. She says, he made me feel like I wasn't as good or as relevant as these hipster bands he listened to. Mm. So I made a song that I knew would absolutely drive him crazy when he heard it on the radio. <laughs> Not only would it hopefully be played a lot so that he'd have to hear it, but it's the opposite of the kind of music that he was trying to make me feel inferior to. I kind of hate the song. Like, the song is kind of annoying to me, but hearing that is sort of, mwah, it's like delightful. It's like the ultimate the ultimate revenge breakup yeah, song. Yeah, that's fucking great. Yeah, it's kind of ni- nicely petty in, in a way that you can appreciate if you know the story. It feels like self-respect. Like, she's just like, I'm not going to be someone different for you. I'm going to do this thing that I like doing that I'm good at. Yeah. Deal with it. And and, and then later she'll, like, you know, work with the National. And yeah, totally. And really get, stick it to him. She actually does, in this album as well, she performs... Uh, one of the songs she performs with the lead singer of the national on the tour. Yeah. I think. There you go. Unless I'm just making shit up, which is also possible. But I think that's true. So this is the one with the uh, more cool kid baggage, uh, as we've mentioned a couple times. I have a sound sample of that if we want to listen to that. I'm really gonna miss you picking fights and me falling for it, screaming that I'm right. And you would hide away and find your peace of mind with some indie record that's much cooler than mine. (laughs) 
Uh, yeah. She, she doesn't sing that as if she has feelings about it. <laughs> it's not delivered very sarcastically What, what was all. that you said about uh, artists having a chip on their shoulder? Yeah. This line is meaningful to me, and that line is meaningful to me, because I grew up my entire life as, like, the only female in a family full of boys feeling this way about most music that had lead singers who were women. Yep. I think it's, like, a super real... That question of, like, what matters or what is important and why is really... Yeah, is important to me. And, uh, yeah, I think she's I think she's really on to something. And, um, I don't know. I think the question of, like, making really good art is really important. Also, living your life and having a lot of fun is really important. And, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I respect about her that she is sort of committed to her she's i mean she's working incredibly fucking hard to get better at what she's doing like she's again this whole album is her just like going to people she respects and being like make it better you know mm-hmm. but but at the same time she's also like having fun doing what she loves and i think that's good too that's great i can respect that mm-hmm. great great this is why you're on the show <laughs> <laughs> to shout you down about about taylor swift uh, yeah, basic. Well, you know, just for a, a counterpoint to me saying, I have a chip on my shoulder mm. about Taylor having a chip on her shoulder, uh-huh. and my chip is more important. Can we got some uh-huh. salsa to go with all these chips. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> some shoulder salsa. So, so salty over Can here. Can we get some salsa on that other shoulder? <laughs> God, I really want chips and salsa now. <laughs> I found a really good, mostly local salsa called uh, Cabo Loco. It's the, the closest one I've, I have to uh, our old standby um, uh, Ponchos, right? The sponsor of the show. Ponchos Salsa, defunct salsa company that went out of business 10 years ago, I think. <laughs> Still giving us money. Yeah. Uh, so I don't want their money. I just want their, their delicious salsa. I want their salsa back. All right. Uh, um. Should we talk about stay, stay, stay? Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. Stay 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 stay, 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 stay. Oh, this is the one where I it started playing, stay, and I was stay, like, stay, stay, stay. "Oh, this is the uh, background music from a Kickstarter video." Hi. <laughs> You've always wanted to be in bed. We spend one third of our lives sleeping. But what if there was a way for you to be in your bed, but also have AC under your covers? That's right. This is the bed jet. This is a real Kickstarter project, by the way. <laughs> Oh my god, there's AC under your yeah. covers products? It's called the bed jet. That sounds terrible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh but yeah, that is very much a like Kickstarter, like crowdfunding, like upbeat, like uh ukulele strumming kind of uh background music for that kind of video. And I was very amused by that. Yeah, I this was also during the time when Twee instrumentation was just sort of on its way out anything with glockenspiels and ukuleles and ukuleles that was sort of it was it sort of was like the replacement it became the replacement of easy listening it became the replacement of music yeah. and now that's what you hear on yeah a lot of kickstarters and a lot of um you know a lot of call waiting mm-hmm. like that became the sound and it's just sort of cycled itself out mm-hmm. um 
I'm not. I'm not making any sort of like judgment on the aesthetic itself. I'm just saying like that's sort of what the culture did to it. Would you call that your Glockenspiel? (laughs) 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 Oh, I got him to cover his face in his hands. It's a. It's a good. I really. I really like that. Mama coming in from the half court with the dad joke. (laughs) Good. Oh god. I like that a lot. I'm gonna have to think on that. <laughs> Let's just everyone take a moment to, to quiet contemplation for that. Oh he's trying to poop. I hope he's trying Same. to poop. Yeah, hey, we've all been there. Yeah. Uh shit, what were we talking about? Glockenspiel. Yeah, oh, I haven't actually played the real sound sample for this song. Let me do that. Leave a fire unresolved. You know, I, I identified I, it as a ukulele in, earlier, but I I mean, this part at least is a mandolin. I don't know if the intro was a ukulele, but this part is definitely a mandolin. Oh, yeah, I think you're right. It's just played in a ukulele kind of fashion. I'm pretty sure we almost broke up last night. I threw my phone across the room at you. Hang on. That's not good. That's yeah, pretty I violent. I don't like that the intro to this song, it's like cute, upbeat music. And she's talking about like domestic violence. Yeah. Like throwing a phone at someone is abuse. <laughs> yeah. Unless you're playing and... a weird fucked up game of catch. <laughs> well, it's okay because he has a football helmet on. <laughs> okay, yeah, and then the he comes back in with a football helmet and she thinks that he that he's gonna break up with her because she's so violent. And and then he comes back in with a football helmet. And it's like, okay, now can we talk? Uh, and it's it's like a joke. And that it's played and off as a cute moment. About, yeah, it played off as a cute moment. And I don't know if this actually happened or if it's just like the writing in the song and it's just a punchline and a joke. But um, I I thought it was really disturbing because yeah. for, for a lot of reasons. One, I think like normalizing any kind of violence mm. is, is fucked up. Mm. Um, I have known men who are on the receiving end of uh, domestic violence from women. And it's really, really scary. Um, And it doesn't matter. uh, It doesn't matter what gender you were assigned at birth. Um, Getting a thrown phone at you fucking sucks on a lot of levels, especially if you're dependent on that person or like your life is like enmeshed with that person. Um, so I think that sucks. Uh, also, there's like, I mean, related to that, there's some sort of narratives of, you know, violence and like in relationships, relational violence can only, it only matters one way. Um, and I think that, that those kinds of attitudes, le- uh, I think they feed into these patriarchal ideas that, that end up having men abusing women. Um, yeah, because like the the patriarchal idea is like men can take it or men can't be victims, and like mm. men are so strong that like they, it doesn't matter if you throw phones at them, which 
<laughs> is bad for men for at least two reasons. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I, I feel like that attitude of, I mean, I'm not saying that men shouldn't take responsibility for their violent actions or thoughts or feelings or words, whatever. But I think that part of the, the cycle is, is that idea that like men need to be able to um, handle anything and need to be non-emotional and that kind of expectation uh i think leads men to be physically violent because Mm -hmm. they're not taught how to process their emotions yeah so i understand that it's just like a cute song but like these are microaggressions yeah (laughs) in the culture and like uh i also i think it's always important to say I'm not saying that I'm, this is not some red pill shit. I'm not saying that men are more (laughs) (laughs) that, that like we're the actual victims or something. I'm saying that this is a specific way that, um, that men are hurt that can cyclically turn into men being, uh, perpetrators of even greater violence yeah and it's a cycle that needs to be stopped and not normalized yeah so speaking of like the cycle of abuse do do you think she implies that men she's dated in the past have been abusive towards her because she said in verse two before you i'd only dated self-indulgent takers who took all of their problems out on me so i think she's just reading uh ayn rand (laughs) (laughs) you got your makers and your takers you got your job creators and you got your welfare queens (laughs) oh no he's a conservative baby (laughs) you don't think she's actually talking about having been abused uh yeah i don't know oh wait you're just saying that as a joke (laughs) in all of the stories of taylor swift that i've read which she yeah she's dated a lot of men and spoken really publicly about her relationship i've never heard her talk about being abused i've heard her talk very scathingly and openly about many men that she's disappointed with in all kinds of ways, but I've never heard her talk about, about being abused. Mm. And it's hard for me to imagine that she wouldn't be honest about that. Um, because she doesn't seem to have any qualms about, about speaking up when she's mad at people for doing things towards her. Right. I mean, it doesn't, it's mean, also... that, it doesn't mean it couldn't happen, but yeah. Um, it's also, you know, not a given that this song is a hundred percent autobiographical either. Sure, of course. Yeah, I don't... Yeah, it doesn't feel very autobiographical. It feels very fictitious. It kind of does, yeah. I mean, I would hope that Taylor Swift is not the kind of person who's throwing phones at people's heads. God, I hope so. You know, I I feel like I want to red pen what I just said a little bit because I'm realizing there's some assumptions underlying that. I, I feel like I just said she's not the kind of person who would get abused, you know, or, or she's not the kind of person who would... Like, I, I feel like I might, might have... I don't like, I don't love the way I phrase some of that. Just like, I think I does seem to me that she would be pretty open if she got abused, but we don't know that. And there's all she's, kinds of, she's been like groped in public and she's like sued someone for that. Yes. Before. Yeah, yes. That's right. And so she's on record of, doesn't mean that she always has stood up for herself publicly, but she has done that. So, yeah. but I don't want to typecast that there's only one kind of person who ends up in abusive relationships Absolutely. or that strong women can always talk about it or any of these, like, you know, whatever shitty parallels about yeah that's a good redaction just like assumptions about the way that that would play out like i yeah 
Well, uh, should we? Should we? Do we have anything else to say? Mm. Stay, 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 stay. No, no, no. Stay, no, Swift. Uh. Uh, the only thing uh, I have to say about stay, stay, stay is wait. They don't love you like I love you. Uh, wh- well, yeah. Let's let's close it up. Let's close <laughs> it up. All right. So what do we got for, look forward to look forward to next week? Uh, that's yeah. What's next? Eight, Becca? 1989. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, 1989. No, An no, album that I'm no, less familiar no, with, no. but a lot of people. This really album came love. out in 2012. So yeah. 1989, I think we'll find is actually earlier. So yeah. I it can't come next. I it just can't. I'm smiling at Nathan's joke, everyone. <laughs> you Very, can't hear like, it because it doesn't make a sound. Indulgently and tolerantly. <laughs> <laughs> Do we have a sound effect for when we're laughing and the audience can't hear it? <laughs> oh, I, I got to... Uh... <laughs> wow, that was definitely... Good, I like that. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> uh, so we'll be talking about our birth year. Your birth year? Yeah, not mine though. I'm old as shit. Our our in this room, except for Ellis. Oh. You're born this year. This bad, the baddest year. <laughs> Sorry, and not bad in a cool hard way. Hard to argue with that. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Um, it, it, until we come back next week with 1989, you can visit us online at boxset.website. Email us at email at boxset website. Tweet us at Topias Podcast. Uh, uh, you can support us in a lot of different ways. Uh, you can be a baby who goes meh, or you can write us a review on iTunes. We actually so, don't want that. We, oh, right. Sorry. <laughs> we don't need any more babies. I think we, we're all full up on babies at the moment. Uh, but if you want to apply for a different position, just uh, send your resume over <laughs> to email at boxset website. <laughs> Uh, you can also support us directly by going to our Patreon and sh- throwing a, do- a couple dollar bills at our mouths uh, at support.boxset.website. Uh, in return for which, you'll get access to all of our bonus content, including our weekly mini show called What's in the Box Weekly that we talked about earlier, where we talked about the haunting of Bly Manor. Uh, the one where we get dollar bills in our mouths is actually the Think Outside the Box at OnlyFans. Oh. <laughs> so there's a quick correction there. <laughs> we should start a Patreon and an OnlyFans. <laughs> it's funny that... It's all just slash slash fiction about, like, I don't know, Billy Joel, Billy Joel and, uh, and Garth Brooks. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so, I mean, some of it has some real literary merit, though. Um. You can also join our Discord. The link will be in the show notes. Uh, you should also listen to uh, the baby, and it's starting a podcast within a podcast right now. Um, <laughs> the baby with the power. <laughs> the, the power. You of should the... listen to Get Up in the Cool, my other podcast. Yeah. Uh, it's the end of um, uh, F- Philippine X O A Heritage or History Month. I can't remember the exact official title. Or Philip Filipino American History Month. I think uh, okay. October. Yep. And um, for Get Up in the Cool, the which right in under the wire. Uh, the last uh, this last Wednesday, in two days from the time of this episode's, or one day from the time of this episode's posting, um, will be a special return visit from the Vox Hunters to do some traditional uh, Filipino music. Hell yeah. And it's Those guys are so cool. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, until next week, everyone. 
Thanks for listening. I've been Nathan Hunt, and I'm voice-planning. I've been Cameron DeWitt, and I've got some spooky (laughs) punch-ups. I've been Becca DeWitt, and I'm trying to drive this podcast down a dead-end street. (laughs) (laughs) Our podcast is like a... I think I'm succeeding. Seems like if I pat his butt, the speed is it keeps him keeps him quiet. Uh, you want me to to play you a sound sample? So you can sort of sync up with the rhythm of the the beat. <laughs> yeah. Stay, that, stay, stay. Have that baby butt drum. I will pat this butt for quite some time, time, time. <laughs> you can have so much good uh, B roll to choose from, Cameron. <laughs> Unless this is going right in, I don't know. I'll let you make those decisions. It's between you and God. <laughs>